Mordecai, and welcome back to the Origination Podcast, where we speak to the top salespeople in the multifamily industry to try to understand what separates the top performers from the rest of the pack. On this episode, I'll be speaking with Shauna Davy. Shauna is a managing director at Greystone. What's very interesting about Shauna is that her path to origination was through a very accomplished career in underwriting. Now, there are lots of underwriters who think that they might try origination, but the path from one position to the other is not always so easy or clear. But Shauna did that very successfully and last year closed over $400 million of deals. So if you are in underwriter or analyst trying to figure out how to make the transition, or you're a salesperson who wants to hear about how Shauna does the great business that, that she does to close such amazing numbers, then this interview is for you. So without further ado, let's speak to Shauna. Here she is, Shauna Davey. Welcome to the Origination Podcast. It's a delight to have you. Very happy to be here. Still hard to think of myself as an originator, not an underwriter, but I'm, I'm growing uh, more comfortable with it by the day. Mm, right. That's interesting, right? So you, cause you start, you grew up in, in underwriting and then you made the, the shift. So I'm going to come back to that point, but I'm curious though, that was certainly a shift from sales, but I'm curious if there, if there, if, if there's any sales that you had encountered earlier in life, you know, maybe in college, high school, grade school, after college. But like, if I said, what was the, what's the earliest sales experience that you you've had? Would you say origination, or would you point to something earlier on in in life? I would. I opened a restaurant in college, mm. uh, and was the manager of the food and beverage aspects uh, right next to an, an event center in downtown Minneapolis. And therefore training staff in service and promoting the restaurant itself and the new location was my per first foray into a sales-like environment. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the remainder of my career was more analytically focused. I, I I actually went to Cornell to urban planning school hmm. uh, with no intention of doing real estate, uh, but I was going to do international economic development, but quickly switched uh, and had an undergrad in finance, so made the shift to real estate. Um, so I, I didn't uh, set out for a career in sales. Uh, it found me. It found you, right, <laughs> right, yeah. It's um, yeah. You were considering international economic development, but FHA was just so much sexier. So you know. But just... actually, it makes me a geek for FHA because I am interested in the policy and the larger foundation mm -hmm. of HUD as an agency. So the 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 laws and the regulations and the history all enthrall me, and that really throws me in a geek camp, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's very, that's very interesting. Um, so when did you think, right, so, you, so analytical mindset, you know, went in 
came into the industry with that, you know, became a, a, an underwriter and a very talented underwriter at, at, at that. When did you first, do you remember a time where you first thought like, oh yeah, maybe I could do origination or maybe I should think about it. Um, you know, when, what did you see? Was there a moment, you know, or just, just something that kind of grew over time? Well, I, I went into the type of underwriting that I did so that I could purposefully blend my seeking of doing social good with the real estate finance. So I started out in affordable housing, uh, underwriting low-income housing tax credit equity. Uh, and that's such a complex product that there, there's a, a years of runway before you master the product and really to originate it before you've mastered it. I guess for, for my roots, it, it, it just didn't, it didn't make sense in the rational sequence of events of, of, of a professional life. And then when I switched to debt with a focus on affordable, again, it felt like I had years of runway to before I would reach a level of mastery uh, in the subject matter. It, it is once I felt like a technical expert on a product, starting with HUD, that I started to think about originations. But I, I grew up uh, with leadership that emphasized the safety and security of underwriting um, and the fact that it didn't carry with it so much pressure uh, to perform, but it also didn't have the upside. And so I, I it was actually your uh, brain trust, I think, that had the idea that underwriters with originator personalities uh, might be good hires uh, or, or good originators. Uh, and so I had the voice in the back of my head telling me to do originations, but I also had equal fear uh, of not necessarily knowing that I would succeed and also still enjoying underwriting. So I didn't have job dissatisfaction. Um, and then I think the, the defining moment was when I had clients that I had underwritten for, uh, seek me out deliberately. And so there were several, uh, and, and I took that as my opportunity to rip off the bandaid and just go full bore into originations. Hmm. So you said that you started with tax credit equity and, and then affordable housing debt, and that you didn't feel like you would want to take the jump to origination until you had mastered that but does that mean that there was something in the in the back of your head that all right, once I master this, then I'll consider the sales side, or was it more of a natural evolution? Well, I guess I mean it's always going to be natural evolution. But was it was it more an idea that you had kind of ten years into your career, or or at whatever point um, that you said, you know what? Uh, maybe I should think about this or, or, or maybe it's only when clients started coming to you that you realized, oh yeah, this does have legs. Like there people actually want to work with me. So was it, cause it, it is a crazy thing. I mean, origination is like a crazy thing to jump into. Um, it is where the upside is in our industry. 
Sure. Uh, yeah. So, so that's that's so maybe that's kind of the reason why people will always consider it. But it is a far cry from underwriting in terms of a, a lot of a lot of regards. So, um, yeah. So, do you think there was like that that seed, or it was just like, well, if I want to kind of achieve the upside at some point, you realize that it, that it would be nice to put a toe in that water. So I, I was a late bloomer to the idea of originations being attractive. Uh, I was I was content doing the analytical work. As as you know, it has a tremendous amount of complexity. The transactions that we work on are not, especially the ones I do, are not commodity type transactions. Uh, mm-hmm. And I. I have more fun originating products that I feel like I have, I can speak about in my sleep, mm-hmm. like HUD. I feel very uncomfortable selling things that I have to say, I'll get back to you later or bring someone in. And so I think that the excitement about it uh, and the eagerness to try it arouse in me after I had gained that level of sophistication with the with the product type and the analytical skill set. There are some people, well, we we would always, and you've probably experienced this too, you'd interview as underwriters and you can tell right away their their intention is not to be an underwriter, it is to be an originator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I'm a firm believer that an underwriting career can only help you become a more effective originator? It, I think it depends on the, the personality. You know, I think mm-hmm. there, there's, uh, you know, we we use at, at, uh, at Greystone, you're familiar with the Colby uh, profile, right? So right, the Colby profile is a measurement for, for any of the listeners. It's an, it, it measures your, what they call your cognitive ability, with not your cognitive ability, but your cognitive. And that is how you, are most comfortable working? What's your style of working if, if left to your own devices? The four categories are, you know, there's a fact finder, which is someone who they need to do research first, right? So if you have examples like, let's say you want to start a, uh, a, a business, right? So fact finder would have to do a lot of research about what's going on in the market and all that. Um, then you have follow through as the second category, which is someone who's very structured. So they would want to outline, okay, well, let's think about what are the things that need to happen? What are the, you know, what are the, let's figure out the timing and the structure and, and how's this all gonna work. Um, the third category is quick start, which is like, which is, you know, they, their market research is putting up a shingle and starting to sell, you know, and then figure it, you know, it's like, they just wanna, wanna go. Um, and then follow, and then the last one is implementer, which is more of, of, if you're good with your hands, you might start to like, mod, if it's a physical endeavor, you might start to, create the physical model, which is not so applicable in our, in our industry, right? So there's some people who are, you and I, I think are, are both um, fact finder leads. So for us, there's, we're most comfortable when we're, when we have done research and we understand all that, you know, before we're going out there. Uh, but I remember like when, when um, I started working with Donnie, my brother, um, and he was coming out, he had just come out of college, right. And was just starting. And, and so we were working together and I was trying to teach him, um, a, 
well, yeah, I guess to teach them what, what I knew of our about originations. And and we would we were working on a team to get together with, with just the two of us. Um, we had a client list that we were calling off of. I always wanted to do some research on the client before I would pick up the phone. I'd say, like, let's go on their website, let's see what they're doing, let's see if we can find out what they've been buying, look at you know the news to see if there are any press releases, so we can have some more information about them. Donnie was like, it's a, let's just call. We'll, we'll figure it out. On, you know, we'll, we'll, if they pick up the phone, we'll, fig, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out on, on the fly. That's, you know, for, for, for his personality to spend 10 years underwriting, like that wouldn't have worked, you know, but so I think it's everyone, you have to pay attention to just what your natural comfort zone is, right? There's some, you and I know a lot of originators who never would have cut it as, as underwriters, you know, they're, they're not detail oriented enough and there's, um, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be their natural capability. Right. So I think it's, it's, um, if they kind of just be attuned to your natural strengths, you know, and how your brain operates, you know, you agree with that? Yes. And I have to, so I have to push myself out of my comfort zone to be more like Donnie. Uh, so I, I think you, you, the, ideally I would have both and that I would develop my strengths in that arena. So I think I alluded to my success, uh, being based on inbound calls, uh, mm-hmm. due to a track record of execution for my clients and word of mouth. Uh, now I am pushing myself much more towards outbound business development Mm-hmm. Uh, the, and the calling and the emailing. And I do have to conquer that conflict that I have between the research that I want to do and then the number of calls or emails that I'm making, right? Because there's only so many hours in the day. And, and yeah. I, don't love, I don't love that aspect of, of calling, um, but I know it's in, in, integral to the job, so. Maybe. Right. I think that, you know, that there's, you know, my, my executive coach, Dan Sullivan, you know, he says that like the problem is never the problem. The problem is how you're thinking about the problem. I understand exactly what you're saying. And I, and I certainly feel that way a lot also where there's some things that I, I would like to change about how I'm operating. And it's like, well, I have to be more X. Right. And what that really means is like, sometimes you do have to be more X. And sometimes what you're saying is I want to be more X and less myself. And I think what you have to do, what all salespeople have to do, all people in general, is you have to kind of recognize who you are and what you're, how you operate. And then you can kind of back solve into that, right? So if you're someone who is just not going to be comfortable making 50 calls in a row without any background information, well, then you're not setting your, that's going to be a stressful way to do business, right? So maybe... You can only do 20 calls a day or 10 calls a day, but you're, but you're researched enough where you can call with confidence, mm-hmm. you know, um, that's, you know, but maybe there's a way to foster more referrals, right. Or maybe there's, you know, I think there, the focus on affordable is, is a niche, right. Not like you said, not everyone has that expertise. There's value that you can offer to um, developers and clients who are thinking about it, a, a building something or buying something or doing a bond deal or tax credit deal. If there's just advisory services that you can offer, 
right? And just to, that's kind of another potential path to, to go is, is seek first to like add value before you are, at, are, are selling, right? So you could call and say, um, look, you know, I'm a, I have, have uh, however many years, right, of, of, of affordable housing underwriting experience. You know, we've been seeing this in the market. I just want to, you know, if you're, if you're interested in just hearing what's in the market, what's going on in the market, some of the trends we're seeing with tax credits and tax exempt bonds, like, you know, there's, um, you let, let me know, you know, there's a new structure that we that, that is now possible with FHA because of, um, you know, not requiring prevailing wages or whatever. Maybe it's something that you, but you can start by just adding, adding, adding value. The, the main thing that, that, that I'm saying is that I feel like you do have to just, life will be easier if you can just understand how you operate and kind of back solve into that, figure out how to sell and still be true to like who you are and, and you, you know, your natural way of, 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 of working. Um, how, does that, how does that sound? Yeah, I, my marketing so far has been that I function more as an advisor than mm -hmm. a, a relationship manager slash marketer and that I'm an advocate for yeah. uh, problem solving on deals. And that is what keeps my biggest clients coming back mm -hmm. is they know that I don't have the cold call and then the handoff, but yeah. you know, it's so that that is both my advantage and my limitation in mm -hmm. that there's a balance between how efficient that is for being an originator is not doing a clean handoff. Mm -hmm. uh, on the other hand, that in that bolsters my ability to sell myself as an advisor. And right. um, so, yeah, I, I, I definitely think part of my sales pitch will always be uh, that I serve in my value add is the structuring and identification of issues and following along to the deal more yeah. than making a salesy type pitch. Yeah. I'm very, I'm very honest about that when I speak to people. Right. Right. Yeah, sometimes it's like, you can use it to your advantage You say like, look, I'm not a salesperson. You know, yeah, I'm an underwriter, you know, so like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to, I can tell you what I know and what I can do. Yeah. 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 Interestingly, probably every single salesperson who I've interviewed, like a lot of them don't necessarily consider themselves salespeople. You know, they're listeners and advisors and they, it's, it's very, it's very interesting. The fact that people did pursue you, that clients did seek you out means that they did know you they had experience with you as an underwriter. I'm curious about, you know, any advice that you would have to someone who is in an underwriting position, because yeah, it seems like there's different ways that, that some groups operate where sometimes the, the underwriter is like totally behind the scenes, you know, and is not really working directly with the client. Other times there's a handoff and then the underwriter is like just right up, right out there, you know, leading the charge after the deal signed up. Any, any advice as far as how an underwriter should approach their, their work and what kind of you know, environment they should look for? Because I would imagine that 
you're building a lot more, you're a lot more valuable as an underwriter if clients will follow you if you leave, right? It's not, it's not, yes, there is a lot of loyalty to the originator, right? But we have also, I think clients also recognize that behind that originator is the people who are actually getting their deal done. Right. And if, if it's a great underwriter who they had wonderful experience with, like they'll, you know, they will follow an underwriter sometimes. So like what, what advice would you have for someone in an underwriting position in terms of how to kind of maximize their own value? Yeah. I, I mean, for me, I always had a strong desire to win on deals. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even when my, compensation structure was different right so it it i had a, a grit and a grind to to get to the closing hmm. um and would drive a deal towards that i think uh being proactive and staying on top of outstanding issues and the things that are linear and the things that can occur in parallel um and having a strategy to to really push a deal forward is the most effective underwriter. The, the passivity in that role, I think is a detriment to both the deal uh, and your performance as an underwriter, but that kind that type of underwriter, if they aspire to be an originator, I think is going, going to have the hardest time being successful. So there has to be a t- determination and a competitiveness to close deals uh, at kind of at, at your core, uh, backed up by follow through and pro proactivity that really gives a de- deal momentum to move forward. Yeah. Well, what do you think contributes to that? Like, why are some people, is it, is it, I guess maybe some of it is just personality. Is it also environment, culture? Like what, what do you think are the contributing factors to, to that? Yeah, I think it could be a variety of things. I think workload can impact mm. that. Um, I think I've worked for several lending shops and they all have different approaches to uh, how, you know, the volume of deals an underwriter can handle at one, at one point in time. And, and it varies pretty, pretty dramatically between the shops that I've, I've worked at. Uh, it also has to do with uh, level of training and support that, that you have uh, and then personality type. Yeah. You know, some some people that this this business it has inherent chaos to it because there's a lot of deadlines and pressure and constituents all with varied interests and levels of motivation, uh, and so people's ability to perform under high pressure and stress, I think, varies. Some people shut down. Some people deliberately just go into Zen mode. Um, and then some people are motivated by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, it's interesting that you say like just that competitive drive. Like you wouldn't say like, oh, 
underwrite our competitive. Although now that I'm thinking about it, we do have you know at Graceland there are a bunch of competitive underwriters. Yeah, I think you know we used to track just how many loans underwriters would would underwrite. You know, and that and we had compensation that was somewhat correlated to to that. And there were like definitely some like I know like Field Springer like every year like he wanted to do more than he did the year before. You know, and wanted to be the you know the to do more deals than, than any other underwriter. Like, and that's, I guess what that does is it, it makes you valuable as to, to a client, right? Cause they're, you're, you're a deal doer, right? You're getting their deal done. But also as an underwriter, you really want to be the go-to, like the most requested underwriter for, yeah. from all the salespeople, right? You want every salesperson to want you, right? And, v- and Very good point. Yeah, and the reason why they want you is because you're going to be an advocate and a ally rather than an impediment and obstruction. And for example, field number of deals was was a big achievement for him. When when I was in my underwriting career, I always received the most complex deals Mm. structurally, Right. right? So I wasn't necessarily motivated by. I close this many deals and I mm-hmm. want to be a total machine and increase that number by three. Yeah. I, I would pride myself on closing deals that other, my peers just couldn't probably wrap their head around in the, right. in the time frame that I did. So it wasn't necessarily a deal number of deals, but complexity of deals. And I would, so I would seek out solutions until I found them. And that was more of my competitiveness on. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, did, did someone say Harry deal? <laughs> yeah. I'm in. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's what I'm best at is mm-hmm. the, the, the really hard deals uh, as an originator. I'll, I'll, I'll now I'll do any deal. Uh, yeah. But my, my, I think, for developers, if they're picking their horse as an originator, uh, they'd be best served with sending the more complex structures my way. I will yeah. add the most value. Yeah. Yeah. That's also like, that's a good calling card to have. You know, I, I feel like that there's, um, there's another line that I've heard, I forget who says this, but that, that the smaller the niche, the, the greater the opportunity, the bigger the opportunity, right? Because like, if you sit down with a client, you're sitting down at a table next to someone who owns multifamily real estate, and they say, oh, what do you do? I do multifamily finance. Like, okay, like I have no, you, no interest in talking to you, like, because you're just generic, right? But if you said um, that, Oh, I do affordable housing. I do very highly complex structures and figure out how to get deal, yeah, deals done. Now, either that person will have a need for that, and then they'll say, "Oh, wow, have I? Do I have a deal for you, for you that I need to talk to you about?" Or they'll have no interest in talking to you because that's not what they do, and that's fine, also, right? So you're you're you know with the the right marketing is you're attracting the right fit customers and you're repelling the wrong fit customers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you were to talk to, you know, I, I mean, attorneys, there's so many attorneys involved in affordable housing deals you know, on, on, for zoning and, and, you know, all the different building approvals and the whatever, but if, if there's 
you know, to get the word out to the attorneys, which I'm sure you, you've done that, that look, if there's a kind of a complicated deal, right. And, and um, they should, you know, you should think of me, right. Cause that's a real, it's not just, they, if a, if a resource, if let's say an attorney would feel would be a hero to their client by bringing you in, right. Then that's, a good referral. It's not just like, oh, let yeah. me tip my, you know, let me just do a favor and say, you know, let me can you talk to my friend who sells insurance. Yeah. Um, and, and it's interesting. I partner with people in the firm, particularly on FHA and affordable deals. And mm-hmm. there are originators of the the opposite personality skill set, right? Mm-hmm. Who they they do the calling, the the customer is always right. And they'll 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 tell me that, but my my most valuable customers appreciate me pointing out the problems early yeah. and why we can't do a certain thing that they want yeah. to, right? Which is a, to- a flip from the sales approach of of a lot of successful people. Right. Um, and right. to you know, to me, the customer is not always right, and they they appreciate being told what is and was isn't possible up front. Yeah, yeah, that's um, you raised another good point, which is there is the capability of internal originations also, right? That there are you know we have a number of cases of success, you know at. at at Grayson, where where um, you know, we created roles um, for, well, actually, a lot of them were people who were, were underwriters but had the heart of, of an, an originator, and but weren't necessarily going to be out there at cocktail parties, you know, just shaking hands and kissing babies, right? But if you're other sales, you can once you have a niche, other salespeople who don't want to do hairy affordable deals. Right. They'll want to work with you and partner with you on, on those deals. And I truly believe it's a value add for Greystone because it minimizes the number of one one deal only experiences that we have, especially on complex affordable. Um, yeah. And where the originator that wants to be out schmoozing can set it and forget it and have have faith in, in the execution being effective uh, in the eyes of the client. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, you, you mentioned before also the impact that workload has on an underwriter's ability to, you know, kind of really push a deal, a deal forward. You know, one of the things that I found was that, you know, when we were, when I was running FHA and we created the fast track program and we figured out, you know, our goal was, all right, could we do a full underwriting in two weeks? You know, whereas, yeah. And, um, then with G2, which is the innovation group that I lead now, we wanted to do it on the agency side, yet to see if we could get from you know application to closing in 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 three weeks, and you know, see if we could like or maybe yeah, I think it was to closing. So it's what we what 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 I found is that if you do a smaller if you're handling a smaller number of deals, right, and they have your complete focus. You can't, and everyone is kind of on the same page. You can get deals done very, very rapidly. You know, we were, it, it was on average, it takes a hundred, it took, a, it was taking 180 days to underwrite an FHA loan when we started that fast, you know, th- this idea of the fast track process. It, and that's just the lender. That's not before you even gets to FHA, it was 180 days. Mm-hmm. A lot of that was, was 
client delays. Maybe they didn't give us all their, you know, their documents, but that's what it was taking. You know, at the end, we were able to do it in two weeks. Not, not every deal, but if everyone was motivated, right? The client was motivated. We had kind of a dedicated team. If you were, if you were, and you were just focusing on one or two deals, you could finish a deal in two weeks. And when I asked our underwriters who did fast track deals, like if it, if it was a very, if it was stressful, they said, actually, it was sometimes less stressful because you could just focus on this and then get it done. It didn't have to like let, it didn't just let drag. So you can do the same, num- the same amount of volume over the course of the year, but it's doing s- smaller amounts of deals more rapidly. What, do you have any opinion on like, just, do you think that's something that, that is, that people should be thinking about as, as a strategy or is there something you maybe that just doesn't work for any other reason? Yeah, I think that that approach works for more plain vanilla deals, right. which, True. you know, as I said, I hasn't been my focus. I think where I've seen effective, uh, let's call it outsourcing, uh, to make an underwriter more productive and efficient and able to produce a, an application faster has been the addition of internal technical specialists, right? So mm-hmm. someone to help with the uh, PCNA and phase one review, um, appraisal review. I think where you can have an underwriter who's able to outsource uh, specific aspects of their job, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it can make the process go faster. Yeah, um, that makes a lot of sense. You know, the, um, uh, the emphasis on automation at Greystone, uh, the technology uh, uh, investment and focus here is, uh, has a lot, and, and the brain trust that's here, it, it plays a huge role in employee retention, at least from my perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, because... It, it takes out the, the manual type nature of an underwriter's job that, that exists without technology, so. Yeah. Yeah, I always thought that a, a good goal was, be, was to be the easiest lender to work with and the easiest to work for, right? And, and I would spend more time focusing on being the easiest lender to work for, yeah, which is, Meaning, how do you make it easier for all of your the people on your team, you know, to do their jobs, right? Because if if you're making it easier, to your point before about like workload, if you the only way they're going to be able to better serve their, you know, your clients is if you make their jobs a little easier, you know. Mm-hmm. So, any sales role models that that come to mind, like they, that you saw in in maybe in in um, in past firms, like you had any, you had any, any people who you look, who you kind of looked up to as like, wow, they were like good, talented salespeople. Yeah. Um, I, I think the, the ones that I've looked up to the most are the ones that know all the product types. So Fanny, Freddie, HUD, and like beyond superficial levels, right? But where they actually have the technical knowledge to answer all the questions that might come up about the full full 
product array. And it's it's rare that you have someone that 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 can do that advisory role on the fly in a meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you know, I I'll use Abe Spira as an example, uh, whose team I'm a part of. He 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 has a advanced level of understanding of all the product types that Greystone offers, and and he stands out in in that way. Um, my aspiration currently is to acquire a higher level of sophistication in the products that I haven't closed over and over and over, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. So I'm really laser focused on learning agency, uh, all, you know, all the product types within agency uh, and equity and speaking the language of owner operators. So from, you know, understanding the deals from their perspective mm-hmm. of, you know, what drives their, their investor models. Um, so that when I'm in the room, I can think of solutions with a, a, a holistic understanding of what the developer's motives are. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's such a great idea. Great point that, yeah, we, we, all lenders have models and you want to know your own models and maybe like for another product or another models, but like, but we never see the developers. I mean, we, they'll send us their, 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 you know, the, the, their development model, but to understand what, what's driving a decision of go or no go, right? What, what are the, what are the levers that you're looking at in terms of, you know, it could be developer fee. Is it the, you know, anything dirt, you know, is it about recourse? Is it about, you know, certain paperwork or when you have to deploy equity or the timing of that, right? There's, but just really understanding what it is that, that if, that they are looking for. And, and I bet like hardly anyone asks that question, Yeah. you know? You know, and what's their equity raise model and what, what's driving their decision-making cash on cash returns you know, IRR, it's, you see those pages in, in the model. And when, when you're selling debt or underwriting debt, you're not necessarily looking into the drivers or the formulas behind that aspect. And I think to be the most effective advisor, you need to be able to understand both sides. Yeah. Cause really you would, you would love to be able to add that to like when we send over our sources and uses or like our, our, our model, Wait, that's they're taking that information, the client's taking that information and plugging it in somewhere else, right? And it would be really great if like underneath, you know, our, oh, here's your P&I uh, payment um, and here's your interest rate to say like, all right, here's your, based on your assumptions, here's what your IRR is, right? And here's what your cash on cash return is in your whatever, um, or over, over the course of five years, right? Us- utilizing their, their assumptions. You know, because that's really what's, you know, you can, you can, I feel like the less you, someone has to think, right, the better, the easier it is. Like, you don't, don't, don't assume that I'm going to show this to you and then, and then you're going to have to come to your own conclusions and do, if you can just kind of hold their hands and take them to where they're, you know, to where they want to go, right, that's, you know, that, 
that's an easy way to add, add value to the client. Like just, you know, if you can let me think less, you're, you're a friend. (laughs) Exactly. And I'll, I'll get calls about what a refinance event might, how it might impact their, their investor waterfall. Right. And, um, it's something you know, that I need to spend more time learning so that I can be a true advisor in those in those instances so that I'm at the top of their head when they have deals. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a good, I mean, I know the accounting firms do it, but that would be a good ally to have a good, you know, um, some kind of a partnership or just, you know, just so to work together with someone who really knows how to do the calculations on those waterfalls, um, you know, on I mean, tax credit deals, they, you know, they're, they're very complicated in terms of what your, where your capital account is and depreciation, exactly. and, you know, mm-hmm. so that's, that's very interesting. Um, how, how do you, you know, one of the challenges with origination is that you're kind of all, always on, you know, you're on call to a certain extent. Um, how do you handle that? You know, how do you like recharge? You know, do, are you able to on the weekends to kind of stay offline or, or what, what's the, how do you recharge that you know, from, from the day-to-day grind? Well, foremost, I remind myself that I would much rather be in the constantly on-call job than watching a clock at work, mm-hmm. and I and loving and being energized by what I do. As as I, that's my message that I use, just kind of as a mantra that it's just always going to be somewhat like that. Yeah. Uh, but there are there are worse alternatives, yeah. uh, and then. Yes, I when when I'm with my kids, you know, on the weekends, I will try my best to just check my email, you know, and interludes throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's some people that I interact with where I wonder if they sleep. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I I don't I I do sleep and I don't <laughs> I do have some balance. There's you know I hit my yoga mat if I need to. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, I have a huge competitive uh, edge to me and a a tremendous amount of drive. Um, But I don't have to be the, you know, the number one, one producer. I, I, I'd be okay in the top 10, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're doing phenomenally well, so you're doing something right. (laughs) Having the experience as an underwriter, also gives you a different perspective on the client experience, you know, going, going through in underwriting. Um, what, what do you think are the most energy draining parts of the, um, of the underwriting process for a, a client? Anything come to mind, like where, where they feel like, you know, it's, it's one thing kind of, you get the deal signed up, but now where do they get frustrated along the way? You know, it could be administrative things like filling out certain forms. It could be, you know, just um, lack of clarity about certain things or, but, but you know, anything come to mind as far as where 
the source, things that are energy depleting for a client during, during the process? Yeah, I think with the timing, uh, is always the most frustrating, you know, you, there's a balance between giving a date that you know isn't true, especially with, with, with HUD in particular, there's because of the lack of accountability that is created by a government bureaucracy and their, you know, they, their motive, they don't have financial motivation like we do. Um, it's very, very difficult to navigate communicating with clients about timing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and even even on the agency size side these days, just given the volumes and the volatility, um, it's it, it's hard to d- deliver a, a a truthful message about timing. You know, that that's aggressive, but not just a bold faced <laughs> untruth. Yeah. Yeah, right. Because it's because we don't know. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah, it's it's that, right? It's it's. Um, I feel like to be a hero to someone, a lot of times it's about providing confidence and providing clarity. You know, and you want to know that if, like, if if I order something from Amazon and they said, well, when's it going to get there? It's like, well, I don't know. You know, it could be a week, but maybe, <laughs> but maybe, but maybe six months, you know, like yeah. it doesn't feel that, that, that great. Like just tell me if it's going to be six months, it's going to be six months. But when you don't have that tracking, you know, you can't just like track your package with, with, when it comes to getting a response from the agencies or FHA, it becomes more challenging. You know, it's a lot more challenging. Yeah. And the, especially with FHA, the unpredictability of the response you're going to receive at mm-hmm. HUD. So different agency underwriter or originators in the firm that I partner with, they, they want rational explanations to HUD decision-making and sometimes they just don't exist. <laughs> so, so how do you sell, how do you sell that? Yeah. Like, I, well, we've got a loan product. Yeah, the decision makers are totally irrational and unpredictable. And yeah. we can't guarantee the timing. But like, so how do you set, but so how, do you, how do you kind of sell through that? You know, I, HUD, one of, the, one of the more enjoyable aspects of HUD is your ability to underwrite to a pro forma. So a future expectation, mm-hmm. which the agencies don't do. I mean, it, it is all about T1, T now, T3, right? With HUD, we can do really creative things about what we'll have an acquisition. We're going to run it differently. Uh, there's going to be a rehab. There's you, you can underwrite to pro forma. You can push on a on a newly stabilized deal. You know, to recent lease turns, which mm-hmm. you know you're not going to be able to do that with with uh, with agency. You're going to be stuck with your, your T1. So what I'll do in instant, and I've pulled off some pretty incredible feats with HUD in terms of not being recklessly aggressive, but certainly being, getting, you know, top dollar proceeds to the, to the borrower. Um, And, but I'll give them scenarios and I'll say, look, this is what we're going to ask for, but this is where we could end up. Mm. So, so that, you know, if I, if I win this most favorable outcome, then I better be your hero, but you can't hate me if I don't. Right. 
Yeah, Matt, you know, that's also a great concept is like when, when you have lack of certainty and you can't get more certainty, a great way to manage expectations is to lay out multiple scenarios and say, look, here's where I hope we can get, right? I think we can get there, right? But it's possible that they'll say no. And here's what you would be, here's the alternative, right? So mm -hmm. make sure you're comfortable with this. Or maybe they'll say, look, I, if you can get me that higher thing, then great. If not, if you if it's a lower amount, then, then I'm not comfortable with that. But okay, well, now they can, everyone moves forward, understanding that that risk, you move forward and they move forward you know, on that, yeah. on that, with that yeah. risk. What about for, as in, for underwriters, as an underwriter, you kind of are sitting there with the catcher's mitt. You know, lots of times you may not get involved until a deal is signed up, which makes you, you know, and if you're bringing like, you know, tough deals, to an, under, an unsuspecting underwriter, you know, that doesn't make you a lot of friends either. You know, so you want to, as an originator, I think you want to, you want the underwriters to like you also and to want to work with you. What are the things that, that you've seen that an originator can do or not do, right, that makes them pleasant to work with, you know, as an, as an underwriter? I love this question. Uh, so my daily goal is to have the underwriters view me as an asset to a mm. deal that they're, that they are assigned, which means I have a heavy touch, uh, without, I try, I mean, I have, I've, I've been accused of having a bravado and that's just kind of a certain part of my personality, but I try offset that with the ability to help carry, carry the weight, right. Uh, and to help run calls and, and point to issues and remind what needs to happen next, that kind of deal driving that, that I said can be missed, can be absent sometimes, but do it in a way that they appreciate it. Like they're being bolstered mm -hmm. instead of squashed. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, I don't constantly follow up without, you know, I think originators can uh, be unpleasant for an underwriter when it's just a constant follow-up with any following along, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I, my goal every day is to, is to help an underwriter out because whether it's how I was brought up or how I was trained, I know the struggles of doing that job. And I more importantly know how critical they are to the experience and, and that my client has on the outcome. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there is, there isn't an imbalance like to say, Oh, Hey, what's going on with this deal? You know, it's like, that's just a four word, it's four or five word email, but it's going to require multi-paragraphs to respond, right? So, and if like, and if, and if you've already, if that information already was sent before, like it's, you know, it's, it's, um, yeah, I think, I guess it's like it's being respectful of people's time and effort. Um, you know, one of the things that, that when I had started running the FHA group, this is before you were, you were um, at Greystone, uh, there was a lot of, there was a conflict between credit and production. Which is natural in in you know probably most companies, but it didn't. It felt like there was a lack of like you know trust um, and appreciation. So 
we did, you know, so that's when we started doing these, like these all hands meetings where we had everyone in the group. It was, you know, maybe at the time it was like 85 or hundred people already come, come at, to a location. And then it was, we did a day in the life, right? So we said, all right, let like, what does a day in the life of an underwriter look like? Here's some of the things that you don't know, right? What, here, here's a day in the life in the originator. Here's how many calls you have to make before you get a return call, right? Here's how many like conversations you have to have before you can even get an application out, right? So to realize that it, that was a hard job also. Um, we realized that, that our, our, the processors had the most amount of contact with the client out of anyone in the process. Right. And we really, and, and they had, you know, like by maybe tenfold, you know, so we really, so that's when we changed their names to project managers to realize they played such an integral role in the, in the process. But I think there's something about just, you know, understanding if, if you had to spend a day in the life of the other, you could, you'd be, you'd be a lot of things might become easier you know, on both sides. And I think you have, you haven't grown up in underwriting and now doing origination yeah, you, yeah, you've got a lot of that. What, one other question I want, want to ask you before we, we end, which is, you know, you spent a, a career, your first part of your career kind of watching originators, and now you have been an originator. Any surprises, like anything that you thought was, would have been the case and wasn't, or, or yeah, any, anything that, that's been surprising to you about, you know, that, that role? Yeah, I especially not the highs and the lows, right? Mm. So uh, given the nature of transactions I work on, we'll just use a D4 as an example, right? Uh, I can execute on a D4 better than anyone else. And there are still things that go wrong, right? That you can't control. Example, HUD changes their rules on pipelines in Texas. I can't. Mm. I can't reverse that. And so you'll have put hundreds of hours into a deal that's going to have a high payout and then it's just gone, right? Yeah. But then the next day, somebody will call you and with with two more opportunities that you weren't thinking of the day before when you got the bomb drop that your previous deal was dead. So the high stakes and the highs and lows are something that I didn't expect because while I had that determination and drive as an underwriter, I wasn't as devastated when something, you know, didn't go forward for a reason that was out of my control. Yeah. Yeah. And on another episode that I did with Aaron Younggrace, you know, he talked about the pain when a deal like dies and he said, you know, that it used to be at the beginning, he'd have to go home from work. You know, afterwards, like, all right, I'm just like done. And then he was able to just kind of walk around the block, you know, a couple of times, you know, and just take 10 minutes and come back and kind of get back to work. And then, and by this point, you know, by the time he's hung up the phone, it's like, all right, on to the next one. You know, so I think it's, it is a, it's, it's a muscle that you build. Your point about the highs is also a good one to remember. I, I feel, I keep trying to keep this in mind, just in life in general, like there are things that come up that are, Real, that really bring you down. Maybe it's something that happened with one of your kids or it's, I don't know, something that's like stress inducing. But then you remember that like all it takes is, right? Like how the smallest thing can actually like lift you up, right? It's like 
you know, that all it takes is someone to call you and say, oh, I have a deal I want to talk to you about. <laughs> and boom, right? It's like you're, for, you know, you're, you're totally restored, you know? Um, yep. It could be, yeah, it could be just a nice email or it could be like someone, you know, running into a friend, an old friend. Like it's, you know, it's just, it's, um, our state of mind is very uh, delicate, you know? Um, so you want to just be able to, yeah, I mean, develop the muscle, you know, over time to just kind of roll with those, those highs and lows because they are, they're, they're part of origination, but they're part of life also. Yeah, and one of the beautiful things is that I live a lifestyle that could be supported by a senior underwriter salary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that I don't have, you know, I don't, I, I, and I liked that job. So that helps to temper the erratic nature of the business of originations. Right. Right. You have, you haven't, you haven't, uh, followed the, uh, the, the ladder of flexing up as you, as you, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, it allows you to have nice toys when, when, when something hits the bank, but I don't have to. <laughs> right. That's actually another good, great piece of advice for people, which is like, you know, especially when you start in a hot market, you know, which today is not the case, but like, let's say, um, you know, you started, let's say if you were an investment sales broker that just started two years ago, it's like, man, this, this is good. This is easy. Right. And it's easy to just kind of, spend as you earn right and it's and it's helpful if you can control your expenditures you know, even as you earn, earn more um some of those things are not controllable i mean to you know tuitions and camps mm-hmm. and kid stuff but um there there there's definitely a a, a a spectrum there yeah well shana this was uh this was a lot of fun so yes uh, i agree yeah so thank 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 you um, for for joining, and um, uh, I feel like I could have gone, gone on for another uh, you know for another hour. So I'll have to have you back at some point. All right, yeah. I, I'll 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 go originate, so I'll have more more stories to tell. Awesome. All right, All right. thank you, Sean. I'll talk to you Take later. Take care. Goodbye. Okay,